Today we are going to talk about prayer, um, and uh, uh, it is part of a, it, it has a context. The context in which we're talking about prayer is the context of this uh, series of messages talking about uncluttering, that there are cer- there are all kinds of spiritual disciplines. There are things that, that Jesus teaches us that, 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 show, that, that, that enable us to have a better life, but some of them are specifically in the area of uncluttering. That, that our lives are sometimes uh, uh, too filled with things, and so there are spiritual disciplines that will help us uh, get a, a clearer, simpler uh, life, uh, and that's that's the particular category we've been looking at. And um, maybe prayer doesn't sound like one, but but I hope to show that it is. So we began talking about um, about Sabbath. We we learned that Sabbath is not a hoop we have to jump through to make God love us. It is actually a gift God gives us. He uh, Jesus tells us that the Sabbath is made for us, not the other way around. That that God wants us not to be worn to a frazzle. Uh, we learned about sleep. How sleep is also a gift that God wants us to be rested, and uh, God doesn't want us to carry around the weight of of uh, the burden of unforgiveness. So so we've looked at those, and today we're going to talk about prayer. And the idea here with prayer is that prayer is actually a way we can unburden ourselves as well. Um, but it may not sound like it. It may sound like extra work. Um, and and I, I say that because this is not my area of expertise. I, I know that there are people who who I would cheerfully call a prayer warrior. Maybe they feel reluctant to take that take that mantle. But I, I know I am not by any means a prayer warrior. I'm not an expert in prayer. And so as I stand here before, I'm feeling partly like a hypocrite, but what I'm really feeling like is like a Christian who needs to hear a sermon on prayer. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be preaching for myself, and uh, I'll listen. And if, if any of you find that this is an area where you'd like to to hear what the Scriptures have to teach us, then then I invite you to tune in as well. So, so for me, prayer um, is not an area of, of real expertise, but... Um, uh, but um, but I want to I want to be better at it. And the problem with prayer is often it seems to me like it's extra work. It's an extra burden. It's far from unburdening my life, uncluttering my life. It's actually one more thing I have to achieve. But I know not everybody feels that way. For example, Martin Luther, the the Protestant reformer from 500 years ago, he was he was noted to be quite a prayer warrior in his time. And uh, uh, there is a quote that is attributed to him. He said, "Work, work." Uh, somebody asked him, "What do you have to do today?" And he said, "Work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do. I shall spend the first three hours in prayer." <laughs> and and I hear chuckles. Right? We all we all realize just how incongruous it is that somebody would say, "I've got so much to do. I'm going to." Do devote three hours to prayer because because it seems like one more thing we've got to fit in and and if, if you're like me if, if that's kind of your temptation is to feel that way then um, I, I want to uh, invite you to listen to the lessons we have in our scripture readings today so so we're going to look at all three um, so uh, uh, like I said you will be out before the Super Bowl begins uh, so so um, uh, we begin with a story from the, the the Hebrew scriptures the story of Israel Israel has just um, escaped slavery in in Egypt, and they are making their way across Egypt out toward the Red Sea and then the Sinai Peninsula. And then Pharaoh, who had let them go earlier, he changes his mind. He decides, you know what? I'm not going to let the uh, Hebrew slaves go. I want to go uh, to go capture them again. So, so that's the situation they're in. And we read that as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. So that was the situation they were in, um, and of course they were. They, of course they panicked, right? This is a 
a ragtag band of ex-slaves, and they're facing the army, the the full military might of, and it's by the way, it's an enraged military. Um, if you have to go back and read the whole story, they're really unhappy with the Hebrews, and they they are facing this army. It is the greatest army of the greatest empire in the Mediterranean world at that time. So so that is bearing down on them. They look up at them and they panic. And my guess is that we would too. And in fact, I know we panic because there are all kinds of things less than that that we panic about. You know, you can probably think of things from your own life that, that there was some great thing that you weren't planning on, um, on, on attacking you or, or, or staring you in the face and you said, wow, that's, that's too much. I can't deal with that. So there's the, the thing at work. You know, they, they said, you know what, we're going to get rid of that division because it's no longer strategic. And you go, Holy cow, what am I going to do? I've, I've, I've got to figure out what to do. And you just kind of have this moment of par- paralysis. Um, uh, maybe it's a situation in your family life. Um, you know, they say, you know, I don't want to be with you anymore. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's some other problem. It's, it's the moment of the diagnosis when the doctor says, look, we're going to run some more tests, but, but really you need to be aware that you're looking at something that's very serious. That moment where you just, you know, feel like a deer in the headlights, you're just, you're just stopped. You panic. And what do you do? Well, the Israelites cry out to the Lord and then they say to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? And then I, I love the, the rhetorical question. There weren't enough graves in Egypt for us. <laughs> so we have to go out to the wilderness to die. He says, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to die in the wilderness. That's, that's all they can do. They can just say, this is hopeless. We cannot take on that army. There's no way we can possibly take on that army. So that's one story. I'll come back to it. But Paul... Paul tells us a different story. Paul talks about how he was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. So he's, he's explaining, he's been talking to this congregation in Corinth about, about, uh, the circumstances of his ministry and some, some, uh, highs and lows. But now he's kind of talking about the lows and he says, he says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And scholars have, have, uh, got plenty of opinions about what that thorn in the flesh is. We don't know, um, but, uh, probably the most common theory is that it was some kind of a physical ailment. Um, the reason for that really is that um, in one of his other letters, Paul Paul reminds the congregations of the churches in Galatia that he had been sick when he came to them. So we know Paul struggled with physical infirmity, at least from time to time. And so a leading theory about what the thorn in the flesh is, uh, is that. And so, so again, maybe this is a place where we can say, look, I, I don't know about, you know, the deer in the headlights panic, panic moment, but I have faced that kind of daily grind of trying to carry a burden around that, that, you know, it's chronic pain or it's nausea or it's, it's, uh, um, vertigo, the, the, the constant, the constant wearing you down of some physical infirmity. Um, a lot of people can relate to that. And so when, when Paul says, I've given a, uh, a, a thorn in the flesh. We might, we might also say it's, it's a, a, a messenger from Satan. Other, other scholars say that the messenger of Satan is actually a person, a critic. There's, there's somebody that they, they all know and he's not naming them by name, but he's saying that person who's been running me down, who's, you know, just kind of the, the constant drip, drip, drip of criticism, that negative person, um, that they are a messenger 
from Satan. And, and uh, maybe that's your experience. You say, well, you know, I don't know about the, the painful, the painful uh, physical condition, but I know that condition. I totally know what it's like to have that critic who just won't ever give you a break. So Paul says, I was given this, this uh, messenger from Satan, the physical ailment, the critic, whatever it might have been. And then our third reading is from Jesus, uh, the, the biography of Jesus that Luke tells, it, tells us. And in that, he tells a story. And I think the reason he tells the story is he wants us to, to be able to relate to that entire spectrum, whether it's, whether it's the, the gigantic thing that causes terror and we just freeze up because we don't know what to do, or if it's the daily grind, whatever it is, Jesus tells us this story to help us understand that there's one answer for all of it, which is prayer. So he tells this story, there was a judge in a certain city, so a judge is a person of prominence and power, people look up to him, people have have respect for his decisions, but there's also a widow in the city, and a widow is proverbial, in the time of Christ, a widow was proverbial as a powerless person, because of the cultural circumstances in that in that era, uh, women were were second-class citizens. I mean, just write out, you know, in writing, you're a second-class citizen. And so a woman who didn't have a man who could advocate for her was helpless. She she had no no authority that that she could use on this judge. So so she is really at the mercy of the judge, and apparently also someone else. We don't know the details, but Jesus in this in this parable, Jesus tells, he says, "Give me justice in this dispute." With my enemy, he says, uh, whatever that is. And again, I think he's painting with a very broad brush, so we can we can fill in the blanks for ourselves. But she has an enemy, and uh, she's being taken advantage of somehow. And so she, her only recourse is to go to the judge. But what does the judge do? The judge ignores her. The judge ignores her for a while. Jesus says, but eventually, because she keeps coming back, she keeps coming back. She comes back. She comes back. She keeps saying. Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And because she wears him down, he finally says, I don't care about God, I don't care about people, but I'm being driven crazy. He says, this woman is driving me crazy. He says, "He says, I will see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And Jesus says, look at the judge. If a human judge with all of his weaknesses is susceptible to that kind of repetitive pressure that she has no power she can put on him, but she can just wear him down. If a human judge who is indifferent, who is prejudiced, who is distracted, who's got a tummy, tummy ache that day, uh, you know, whatever it is that, that's keeping him from being an effective judge, if he can be brought down, by this woman's repetitive prayer, then so can God who suffers none of those problems. God who is, who is loving, uh, who is attentive, who's not distracted by other problems, who's not prejudiced. God will certainly hear her prayer. And he says, and we'll hear everyone else's. So if we go back to the story of Israel, what happens? They say, they say, look, we're, we're a, a motley gang of ex-slaves making our way across the desert. The greatest army in the world is bearing down on us. There's no way we can possibly fight them. And then they kind of, you know, complain to Moses. They say, there's nothing we can do. And Moses says, you don't have to fight them. Moses says, the Lord himself will fight for you. He says, you make some popcorn, okay? (laughs) Because the Lord will fight for you. You don't have to do anything. 
So what about Paul? Paul says, you know, I tried the widow thing. I prayed, right? I prayed three times. I went to God and I said, God, I need you to give me relief from this problem, whatever it was, this this critic or this uh, health concern. I need you, God, to give me relief. And God says, I've got this. And he says, no, I want you to give me relief. And God tells him, no, I've got this. And and Paul says, uh, eventually he came to realize what he'd been asking is not for God to fight his battle for him, but to be given the power that he could fight the, the this problem, whatever it was, on his own without God. And and what he realized is that I was asking God the impossible. You know, God, I depend on God for every breath. I depend on God for the sun to rise in the morning. I depend on God for gravity to hold me onto the planet. I have to depend on God. But I was asking God to give me autonomy in the area of this thorn in the flesh. And what God kept telling him is, I've got this. My grace is sufficient for you. And so he says, I, I learned through that experience that, that I should boast in my weakness. That when I am, when I am weak, then I am strong. And, and we know that that's true. I mean, we know that, that when Paul says that, uh, Paul didn't know it when he was writing this letter, but we know now, 2,000 years later, that there has probably been no human being with the exception of maybe Jesus, or, well, certainly Jesus, but, but we could argue about maybe some of the other apostles. But Paul has had more of an impact in the world than any other person but Jesus. You know, if you think about it, it as uh, G- Paul had the responsibility, he was given the mission to take this Jewish sect from the Holy Land and spread it all across the Roman world. And he succeeded. You know, if you go to Rome today, there aren't gladiatorial matches anymore, but there are crosses in commemoration of the church that Paul planted there. It spread across Europe. It went to North America, and now it's all through the global south. Paul had an incredible impact because when he was weak, then he was strong. So what are we asking God when we when we have our problems, whether it's the 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 deer in the headlights, terrifying moment of of incredible paralysis, or whether it's the daily grind of how am I going to get through my life with this thing? What are we asking God? Are we asking God for God to take it? Or are we asking God to give us some ability to handle it ourselves? Jesus says, go to God. He says that if... So, Jesus says, go to God. He says, be like the widow. Go to God and keep going to God until you get an answer you like. So, prayer is um, our, our problems are a reason to pray, not to delay. So you don't see me rhyming a lot in my sermons. So, uh, but but that came to me. So there you go. Troubles, the troubles we have in life are reasons to pray, not to delay. That the 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 things that we think are you know they're in the way. The the health challenge, the the parenting problem, the situation at work. Those are not reasons to delay, and I'll get to prayer sometime when I have more time. They're actually the reasons to pray. And the reason is because God wants us to dump our problems on him, that we should not carry our problems around. We're to dump them on God because that's what he wants to do. It, it, 
you know, I, I know the objections because I give them myself. It's like, well, if I only turn to God when I'm in trouble, then that makes me kind of a fair weather friend or kind of that irritating person who only, who only wants to be your friend when, when there's trouble. But God isn't proud. God tells us, come to me in your need and I will answer you. So don't be prouder than God. God's willing to be your friend even if you haven't been up till now. So you can be a friend even if, even if you're embarrassed about the, the things that have, that have led you to it and you feel like, well, I shouldn't have let it go to this point. How, how do we do this? How, how, how do we pray? Uh, these, these uh, stories all give different examples. What does, what does Israel do? Israel cries out to God and we don't even know what they say. It's probably just, ah! <laughs> because then they save all their words for, for Moses. Right? Moses, you know, you, you, we told you this plan of yours would, wouldn't work, right? But they cry out to God. Uh, maybe the best prayer you could pray is just, ah! <laughs> what does Paul do? Paul says he begs God. He begs God. And Jesus, in his, in his parable, Jesus says, she said, she said. You know, I think too often people say, well, you know, I'm not very good at prayer. I'm not, you know, I don't know the difference between a thee and a thou, you know, what, what, how they function in the sentence, you know, and thine. And I don't know how to use all those words because I didn't study ancient English grammar and I don't know how to form those sentences. You don't have to because all you got to do is be able to cry out to God or to beg to say, give me justice in the dispute with my enemy. There's no special language. It's the fact that God wants to hear your prayer. God is hungry. God longs to hear your prayer. And the fact that you haven't been a good prayer in the past is actually one more reason. God wants to build that relationship. So, don't use the troubles of life as an excuse not to pray. Use them as an excuse to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are reasons we don't pray. We don't lean into the the promise that you give through Jesus and through Paul and uh, through the the Hebrew uh, scriptures that you are a God who longs to be involved in our life, who longs for us to lean on you um, consciously the way we do when we breathe or when we when we enjoy the warmth of the sun. Lord, help us to lean into the promise of help. Um, when we have problems to to come to you, even if we don't have words because they are so frightening, or whether it is just the dull ache that that we've grown so used to, we don't even know if it can be if it can be fixed. Lord, whatever whatever our circumstances, whatever the the reason we should pray, Lord, give us the the clarity that we should actually pray. And Lord, if uh, we don't hear the answer that we want, um, help us to learn from the widow and from Paul that, that we should not take silence for no and we should not take no for an answer, but to keep coming back until we understand your purposes. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.